so what we were talking about once I that's one of the reasons why I decided to start the, the online training off with the circle of components is to give people an understanding of okay these are these are the components and and how they go together to produce what you see as the end result which is the the, the utmost level of accuracy that you have in your mind is an expectation and I don't know do you think it's safe to say that over over the years that we've um, we've seen rifles being built that we've seen a dramatic increase in an ex- expectation of precision and accuracy oh yeah I mean you know back in the day it was like a gun that shot a minute was like that's badass okay cool let's go to work like that thing's awesome and then we would see guns um, that would come from somebody like Accuracy International that would literally shoot like the size of your pinky finger and you're like whoa okay what's up with that like how do they do that how does that work and then nowadays we start seeing barrels that are coming from gunsmiths that are like literally a half a minute angle is now almost the standard of what's expected to come from uh, a custom rifle builder or even you know even um a uh even a semi-custom even a i guess you call production customs Mm -hmm. we were talking about that today at lunch um what what we come to expect from a rifle nowadays is is definitely more than what we would 10 15 years but even having said that you know many times i get guys you know especially on over here on the west side you know 100 yards you know i want to shoot you know half inch at 100 and and this at 100 and 100 100 100 Mm -hmm. well that's great but you could do your load development at 100 go shoot a match and shoot you know, a minute and a half or two minutes at 600 because that tuning, you know, the velocity at distance mm-hmm. was never really verified. Right. And um, I talked to a lot of guys, try to get them to shoot, you know, 200 or 300, you know, confirm. I mean, if you shoot half inch at 100 and four inch at 300, mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and, and I think some of that expectation, it's almost like vocabulary, you know, sub MOA. I, I mean, um, I mean, I get a lot of guys, primarily hunters, that they're only shooting out to 200 yards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's kind of why when I get someone in here, you know, there's almost like a consultation of... What's your level of expectation? Right. What's the furthest you've ever shot? And then what's realistic? Right. And so, um, I mean, that 300 wind mag I built for you, you sent me a picture of a four-inch group at 1,212 yards. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a third of a minute Yeah. at 1,200 yards. That gun shoots. <laughs> well, but that's what I mean to say my gun shoots a third of a minute at 100. Right. Right. And then to say, well, fuck you. My gun shoots a third of a minute at 1,200. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> but see how the vocabulary is the same. Right. But it's not the same. Right. I understand. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> um, well, shit, man. Um, it's cool. I think the last time that we sat in a shop, it was um, at, uh, at Brett's place, right? 
Yeah, yeah. When and I and I looked over your shoulder while you were building that 300 Win Mag for me, and that was kind of my first glimpse into, you know, watching watching a gunsmith cut a chamber, and and that was that was a long time ago. Yeah, that was probably yeah. 2011. Yeah, and I actually, I don't know if that was your rifle I was working on. I, I don't remember. I can't remember. It, it was. It, okay. It was, yeah. Because okay. we brought all the components and okay. And, and it was because I wanted to see it. You know, we we had seen a lot of um, we'd heard a lot of stuff in the military about you know PWS mm-hmm. and like how what actually nobody actually knew what went the on secrets right at PWS. <laughs> so it was like this magical land where just these at Quantico. Yep, this shit just happened. <laughs> And now that we have a better understanding of like what that is all about um, and how guns are actually made, we can look at those things and go, oh, okay, I understand now. Like I understand where, for me anyways, I understand where the mentality is or was, and it still is there because a lot of those guys still are just like so set in their ways that there's like, there's no way that anything but a, you know, blueprinted, custom blueprinted Remington 700 is, you know... There's nothing more accurate than that. And I've heard that those PWS guns aren't blueprinted. No, they're not. Well, yeah, it's no, it's like you, you, that's why when you get a good one, it's just like, oh, okay, we want to keep track of this. Most of them shot really well, right? And honestly, like now that I knowing what I know now, looking back to um, the days of 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 then, we just didn't know what we did what what we didn't know in term even main, maintaining the rifles yeah maintenance on the rifles we were cleaning them too much we were cleaning them so way too weird. much so weird so weird right what the fuck why would we clean them all yeah, the time why would we clean them all the time that's <laughs> fucking retarded but it's honestly though that's um, it kind of now that uh, they're getting these they're getting 300 normas right 300 PRCs those cartridges are in a different realm than what snipers are used to seeing. And those barrels need to be taken care of in a very specific way. And you have to know through experience what that specific way of taking care of meant, breaking them in, uh, don't clean them too much, understanding what to recognize when some maintenance care, like carbon rings come into play. Um, those are all things that only come through either training um, from somebody that has the experience or experience yourself going, what the fuck is going on here? Like, why are my bolt lifts are, like, why is my bolt lifts already so sticky? So sticky. Like what the fuck? And if you like, you're going to go through that and you're going to chase your tail and you can ruin a couple barrels on your way to finding the end of it. <clears throat> so things like that, knowing what we know now, it's like trying to get that information into those hands to make sure that those guns, yes, fucking badass. I'm glad that we have um, the asset of a true long-range interdiction rifle, like a 300 Norma and a 300 PRC, um, because we could have used those. We could have used those in a lot of situations, and be and and be have been much more effective because we had that extended that that extended capability. But the information, even if we had them. It would be like, okay, the bullet goes that far, but we still don't know why the fuck it goes that far. You know what I mean? So, or how to predict well, right. what it's going to do. The, the ballistic apps and the velocity. I mean, imagine if we had 
300 Win Mag oh, 20 yeah. years ago oh, yeah. with no chronograph. It, right, exactly. We would have still been shooting yard lines at, out of 117, out to the 15 hundo, you know, and still going, why the fuck was my dope? I don't understand this. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, we've come so far. And it's um, it's cool to see, you know, closing that loop on that conversation saying, you know, it's a reasonable expectation now to have a gun that's like, hey, if this gun is not shooting, you know, half minute groups and it's a quote unquote custom rifle, there's something not right, right? There's something weird, funky going on that we need to inspect a little deeper. Because even with ammunition now, man, like it's insane. Consistency. It's so consistent. Like straight up, man, Hornady Factory 140 ELDMs out of my Creedmoor, they are shooting literally one whole groups. So... It's, you know, the ammunition is not the deal. That's, you know, yeah. 140 grain AMAX at 100. Yeah. They're, the, the ammunition is so yeah so advanced even from 10 years ago. Um, and I even shot that. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it, but it's one of those things though that like when you lay about, when you lay down behind a rifle like that, that's just, it's a custom gun. It's, it shoots beautifully and you don't, there's no effort. It seems like there's just no effort to making mm-hmm. it happen and just like, bam, that's the way a rifle should shoot. That's how it should shoot right there. Yeah. Years ago, I went shooting with a guy and um, it was when I had my uh, my M40, my 308. And uh, I mean, he, uh, he had like an M14. It was when the the army had that was it like the sage oh yeah that's right or the um, yeah it was a dmr it was a dmr gun right. and mm-hmm. he built one like that and we went shooting and uh i think he shot like you know little tiny cloverleaf uh with my gun at 100 and he was like oh man that's like the best group i've ever shot <laughs> and it was just kind of funny because i mean to go from like this m14 kind of like dmr gun and mm-hmm. And then just to have somebody say, I mean, yep. I mean, have you ever had a class or something where a guy's like, oh, that's the best I've ever done? You Man, know? absolutely. All the time. I had a guy come through the class. Uh, oh, man, this is a long time ago. He brought a 1903 Springfield. <laughs> <laughs> he did, dude. He brought it. He he had the action drilled and tapped. He put uh, a, he, he had a, a gunsmith custom fabricate a mount so that way he could mount a, a modern scope on it and the gun shot like two and a half minutes at 100 and I was but it's a perfect example where it's just like hey man that is what this rifle is capable of so keep that in your mind when you visualize what the performance is going to be out at distance meaning don't ask more than what this thing can give you mm-hmm Right, so if you're gonna go out there and try to crush that 10-inch plate at a grand, that's probably not gonna happen, at least not consistently, anyways. Um, and that guy had a blast. He had a blast because his rifle shot. He learned how to work his scope. He understood what factors go into predicting uh, solutions, firing solutions at distance, and how to read the wind. Like he had a successful class with that rifle even though it didn't shoot dime sized groups you know what i mean like it it was still a great experience for him because yeah. he had he knew what the expectation was mm-hmm. so i guess you should probably tell people who you are are we going now yeah we're going <laughs> that's how i do this oh okay uh uh what's up tom 
Hey, um, so I'm Tom Ryder. Uh, I've uh, built guns and work on guns. Um, I've been, uh, well, I started doing machine work in 1993. I actually started doing machine work in high school. And then uh, I grew up in Port Angeles and in, in mm -hmm. Washington State. And uh, I moved uh, 95. I came over to the Seattle area and went to um, a community college and did their machining program. And then halfway through the machining program, I got a job working the night shift at a machine shop. And in this region of Washington, there's a lot of aerospace work. Yeah. And, um, and that trickles down into medical. And, uh, of course, back then in the 90s, it was um, probably the same breakdown, aerospace and medical. And then you always have uh, welding, repair, fabrication side. But um, it worked in a machine shop. Um until 2000 and just um as life kind of went on uh just kind of wanted to change and oddly enough i was working at a shop in woodenville and i i worked with three marines uh two of them were vietnam era and one of them was in the 80s, right <laughs> around the Beirut time frame. Oh, shit. So, oddly enough, um, the Vietnam era guys, one was a force recon guy. The other guy was a Amtracker. And then the guy in the 80s was an Amtracker, too. And about that time, you know, I had been working in industry for like five years. Worked the night shift and the grind and the work. And I just was thinking about um, just doing something different. And I always felt like you can always go back to college. You know, people, you know, have careers, go back to school, change careers. And I, working with those three guys, I kind of always kind of started thinking about how there's kind of like you're, you were either in the military or you weren't. Mm -hmm. And I felt that... <clears throat> while I was still young, I think I was only 22, that I would have to do the military thing before I got... I, I was kind of like, time was running out. <laughs> and, well, not that it was running out, right. but... We have this really weird perception of things at that age. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, and you know, of course, everyone was like, why do you want to do that? Right. You know, and, uh, and then I, some of the guys, I'd met people, you know that 22 year old like people had gotten out of the mill i mean they were went in when they were 18 they got out already and they're like oh don't go in it sucks and but it was just something that um i really was just something that i just had to do and um so i enlisted and um you know went to boot camp in in um san diego and then uh I guess I was maybe a little belt fed because, of course, you know, I went in the infantry. Everybody, yeah, man. That's the way it always starts. <laughs> Everybody's belt fed as fuck when you first get in, man. So, um, and uh, so I went, you know, boot camp and then infantry school. And then uh, I actually got, um, so my MOS was a 0341. <clears throat> so I had to go through the weapons program mm -hmm. and... Um, so I finish SOI and I get cut to the fleet 
and SOI is down the road from 3-1. And of course, they were, they were like, oh, you're going to a Victor unit in 3-1. And I'm like, well, where's that? Well, it's like down the road. Literally know? like three miles. Yeah. And um, so we, you know, graduate, throw our alphas on, take the bus, the three miles to Horno, and uh, <laughs> get off the bus. And um, I mean, I, it was kind of a funny day because, you know, I you know, get to Horno and um, it was kind of a big boot drop. There was a there was a bunch of us, and uh, so I find out I'm going to 81s, which is the there's the two mortars, the 60s and the 81s, mm-hmm. and the 81s are in a weapons company, and the 60s go to the line company. So I find out like me and like five other guys are going to 81s, and so um, the platoon sergeant for an 81s platoon is actually an artillery guy, 08. But he's a gunny. So, um, the, I guess, TO or the command is a little different in the, in the mortar platoon. But so Gunny had us and uh, was talking to us. And he kind of was like, he's like, well, you three are going to go to the gun line. And he kind of looked at me. And, you know, I had my birth control glasses on. <laughs> I, was, uh, so I was a PFC because I had some college and stuff. So he goes, how old are you? And I was like, I'm, I'm 22, Gunny. And he said some other stuff. And he was like, do you know what trigonometry is? And I was like, As, yes, Gunny. And, and he said, I want you to talk to Lance Corporal Gray. I want you to be in my FDC. And oh, I was man, like. Moving up. Well, and at that time, I was like, what's FDC? I don't even know what that means. but Well, so FDC is a fire direction center. And... Um, it's kind of like a headquarters element because in FDC... Um, no, I, I know what an FDC is. <laughs> I was saying that, like, never mind. Let's go. <laughs> okay, just keep going. I just keep going. So, so FDC is like the headquarters element that receives the call for fire and then calculates the firing solution for the mortars. Mm-hmm. And in SOI, we didn't do any of that because we just... It yeah. just didn't just happen. Didn't. Nobody cared. And uh, so, and now I'm like, well, who, where's Lance Culver Gray and what's FDC? And so then, you know, we started going to the field and doing our thing. And um, so I, you know, worked in the FDC. And so then you have the guys on the gun line that run the gun. But um, so that was like uh, July of 01. And then we did like our conventional ops and then we, when we chopped to the Mew, uh, you know, the 81s is like the trap team. So we did some, some Mew training. And then, uh, and then that in 03, we mm-hmm. drove to Baghdad and did all that. Yep. And then when I got back in 03, you know, I was a, you know, salty corporal. You know, I'd been deployed twice. And, um, you know, I just... I guess kind of like the same thing. I wanted to do something different. And um, and I had heard of the State Platoon, and I didn't really... You know, the weapons company um, in, in 3-1, they were attached to H&S. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I um, just knew the Indoc, and I knew the Indoc was coming. 
and we had just got a new commander and he said that uh, any MOS could try out and so I um, uh, you know I was PTing and I was ready because I knew it was gonna be be physical and, and took the indoc and, and passed and, and got in and then uh, um, got into the platoon and kind of went went right to training there wasn't a lot of downtime yeah because we were already you guys were already in the cycle for the next trip yeah we were already scheduled to go back to iraq in in a year in our deployment yeah June. yeah well at that time i didn't know that right i just knew it was like mm-hmm. you know we were getting ready to go and um actually uh i actually i did go to school and i didn't pass <laughs> but uh you know, um, so then, you know, deployed to Iraq in, uh, I think it was June, yeah. June of 04. And, um, and at that time, uh, there wasn't really a lot going on. And, um, and of course that would wind up to be the, um, the, I guess, Phantom Fury, the Fallujah, the Fallujah in, in the fall, mm-hmm. which, um. I mean, I kind of call it the Fallujah 500, but the Fallujah I mean, 500, because yeah. there was a lot of running around. There was like a lot of running around, <laughs> just just a little bit. But uh, so then, um, you know that 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 was that, and um, so when I so we got back from that deployment in um, in February of of '05, and I actually. Um, I got out in March '05, so it was like I went on leave for a month mm-hmm. and then came back, and they were like, "I'm like, see yeah. you guys." Yeah. And so that was, you know, springtime, and then uh, oddly enough, um, I was back, came back to Washington, and uh, a buddy of mine um, kind of knew some like first group SF dudes that were contracting. Okay. And uh, and they were just starting up. They they it was the WPPS program, and uh, they were talking about starting up. They called it a designated defensive marksman program. It was a DDM. It was the State Department's. Course. Yeah, yeah. And they were starting up this DDM program, or they needed these guys. And and my buddy that knew these other um, guys contracting was like, "Hey, would you want to go back overseas?" And I was like, sure. <laughs> Why not? So I, um, so September of 05, I went to, um, I think it was West Virginia or Virginia. Did So you have to do the PSD program first. Mm. And um, so the DDM program is kind of like a collateral duty. So everybody's like a PSD guy. And then... Um, the DDM is like a, you know, collateral duty and they have EMTs and stuff too. But, um, the funny thing was, is, um, there was like the DDM program, they had selected whatever 20 or 25 dudes. And some of the guys washed out out of the PSD program. So you have, since you have to pass that first, we went to Hawthorne, Nevada for the DDM program and there was 13 dudes there and it was all Marines <laughs> and the instructor was this dude uh, you might know him yeah um, 
I guarantee I did. Sh- Jeff Shinner? Jeff Shinner. Yeah. yeah. And it was funny because... Um, he was... He, was that... Uh, that was HD Sock, was it not? It was before that. Oh, it was... It was... Uh, well, I, I worked for Triple Canopy. Right. But they had some... But, but HD up, Sock was there in Hawthorne. Because I trained... I, did, I taught yeah. for them too. Yeah. Out there. And the funny thing is, is like... Uh, well, a lot of the dudes got tattoos and... Yeah. And it was like being in a state platoon because we were on the range all day and there was shenanigans at night. And, mm-hmm. But uh, but it was fun and um, I met uh, dudes that had been around. Um, Brandon Scene was my partner mm-hmm. at the DDM course. Yeah. And, uh, Brandon gave me this tattoo. Yeah, and it's just funny how um, I guess like the network and the community... Um, and then when, you know, when I got, so then, you know, that wrapped up in, in December and then I worked overseas, went back to Iraq four more times, um, was in a embassy in Basra, which Mm -hmm. is in Southern Iraq. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was fun. But after a couple years, they started cracking down and we had to shave our beards off and oh, man. it wasn't as fun. And when stuff gets lame, I usually quit. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I mean, it was, it, I mean, it started out fun, but I mean, rockets yeah. and, and mortars. That and shit like, gets old fast. Yeah. It, I mean, when dudes are like legit trying to kill you, like it, it does get old. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> what was the line? What was the line again? I'm just a product of my environment, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this shit gets to be a bummer. Yeah. So then I got back to the States in, in like, um, 07. And, uh, I went to a gun show down in, um, Puyallup and I was walking around at the gun show trying to think about the hell I'm going <clears> to <throat> do with my life again. And, uh, I was like, well, I like guns. And I was like, I like to shoot. And I was like, shit, I should start making guns. And I came around the corner and on the table was like all these custom guns. And it was like, like a light shone down. (laughs) And I was like, who are these guys? Who the fuck is that? And so that's, I met, um, Brett Evans, um, and, uh, worked with him for four years and uh, did kind of like an apprenticeship kind of thing because I was still working full time and, um, you know, chasing girls or something like that. And then uh, um, building guns part time. And then this like 08 to 012, that was um, some of the Obama stuff. Mm-hmm. The I kind of call it the, the gun roller coaster. Yeah. And I got I just kind of got sick of that. Um, and I went back to. CNC production work in 12 mm. and uh and I did I still did gun work on the side and I yeah. still talked to Brett uh he's, he actually sent me a text like the other day but uh um I kind of bounced around to a couple different shops and then finally in in 2017 I got my FFL and and kind of as time wore on I I bought I actually bought my lathe from Brett and you know bought a tig welder and was buying stuff and it was always something that i just liked it 
but it's hard to see like, I mean, people always talk about set goals and where do you want to be in five years? And I mean, at this point, like the longest job I'd had was like, so I, I was in like four years in the Marine Corps. So, mm-hmm. um, but so I got the FFL in 2017 and, um, was still working full time in aerospace work. And, uh, actually, um, I got laid off in September of 19 and I had a backlog of gun work and I was like, well, um, I got enough work to get through the holidays. You know, when January comes, I'll look for work. And then that was the COVID winter and I kept working and the kids were out of school and I kept working and I'm still working and building guns. Man, it's so bizarre how how life can can take us on these little twists and 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 side journeys and you know, it ends up like sometimes leading you right back to what you thought wouldn't work and then you're like, Well, okay, cool, I'm gonna hang out here for a little while and and and, and keep at this and honestly man, you have a you have a, a phenomenal skill for making a fucking really accurate rifle. And I think that, that it comes from your, your level of attention to detail from the machining side of the house and understanding how, how all of that stuff worked and then bringing together that knowledge with uh, understanding how a rifle works, right? And, and, and all the dynamic forces that are involved in that, which are pretty extreme. And I really, like, for me personally, <clears throat> it's, it's funny because... Um, like hand loading. Uh, I don't look at hand loading. I think it's fascinating. Um, I think it's super fascinating, but right now at this point in time, I don't have time to get into the nitty gritty of that. What I know is that I need a thousand rounds loaded to get me through the next couple classes and all my training sessions to keep me fresh and keep my skills where they need to be. So I'm reloading as a means to an end. Um, but all of these other things that linger in my mind when it comes to like, I wonder what we could do with that. Or I wonder if we did this and if we tweaked that, but I just don't have the time to do it right now. Well, and, in the beginning, that's kind of what the gun work was. It right. was like, um, we were kind of talking about PWS and, mm-hmm. and, the there's like a lot of sniper voodoo and sniper secrets and, um, the gun work. I mean, over the years, um, I mean, I, I started riding motorcycles when I was 12 and I put a piston and ring in my CR 80 when I was 15 and I've rebuilt, you know, chainsaws and, and, um, you know, motors here and there and welded and fixed stuff most of my life. And the gun work to me, I mean, you know, a carpenter makes things out of wood. A machinist makes things out of metal mm-hmm. and um, when you kind of look at gunsmithing it's like a subset of machine work um, and you have specialists too I mean you have sure. automotive machinists um, and you have uh, and even in the machining realm you have hard metal guys that are cutting Inconel or titanium and and you even have guys that are cutting plastic or fiberglass but um, and I think that the the gunsmith, I, I've I kind of have brought this up before. Like, the gunsmith is kind of like an antiquated 
term. I'm glad you brought that up, dude, because <laughs> I, like I have this vision in my head. I went to um, I went to the Safari Club International show a couple seasons, a couple uh, a couple years consecutively, and um, H and H always has a has a huge booth in the middle of the show, as per right at Safari Club, um, and there's always. Uh, they're all in the garb, right? They're all in like the, the 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 European garb, and they're working on guns, and they're like legitimately working on a gun that's going to go to a customer, and they're doing it right there. And you get to watch this this craftsman. One guy's checkering a stock, or the other guy. One guy was registering a barrel, like the ribs, the, the dude, like a side by side, and it was just mesmerizing to watch this guy work. And when I hear the word gunsmith. That's the dude that I envision, right? That craftsman who's hand-fitting 1911 parts or who's um, using a file super, super precisely with love and care and understanding how that tool works from years of experience. That's where I see, like, that's where I envision a gunsmith. And I think that's really, I guess that's just a, a kind of a weird, maybe a departure from from what people think a gunsmith is because like you're also you're also a precision machinist which is part of a, or a facet of being a good gunsmith right and um and and the gunsmith i mean you could have like i get people call me all the time ask me to work on revolvers i don't know how to work on revolvers <laughs> stay in your lane i don't know how to work on um uh, over under shotguns mm-hmm. so i guess in that gunsmith even arena you have you know revolver guys shotgun guys right and and then you know in our area you know the the bolt action guys and and even um and i've i've talked to a lot of people that uh i used to work with a guy that went to that colorado school of trade or no the it's in Trinidad State, mm. oh, Colorado, yeah, okay. and mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, you know, you build that foundation. You know, they take apart guns and put them back together, and and learn some of these basics. And and I mean, I don't have a a gunsmith degree, um, but I know how to cut threads, and I know how to measure, dial things in, and and to me, that is like my foundation, right? Because you know, if you, um, I mean, and there's different aspects too to the gun work. You have to, you know, the headspace, um, the glass bedding. I mean, you could be a great mechanic and know how to torque stuff, but I mean, the glass bedding or the free floater in the barrel or the trigger work, um, just these different specialty pieces of the, of the gun work. Um, and then also, you know the understanding tolerances i guess there is like an engineering quotient you know um you could talk about lapua brass versus norma brass versus um some of those subtle things might have an effect on headspace but uh it's just um the the cutting metal and and really the thing i like most is is fixing stuff and making stuff Mm -hmm. you know um i kind of talk a little bit about i don't shoot as much as i used to but 
I kind of feel like over the years I've I've had phases where I've shot a lot, mm-hmm. and right now in this phase of my life I'm I'm building guns. Mm-hmm. We all go through I think those phases in life where we do a lot of one thing and and kind of in order for us to grow in one area we have to kind of sideline something else in order for us to experience that growth and you might circle back around to it uh, you might not you know but it's just all part of it's all part of the progression and i think that you know you said something your ability to measure and um i think you the ability to measure is obviously extremely important when it comes to building rifles or or cutting chambers i guess cutting chambers because i think also there's there's so many fascinating aspects of the barrel like what's actually happening in this tube of steel right when i press the trigger and i initiate the ignition sequence you know it's really fucking cool and there's a lot of science that's happening in an instant and I think that stuff's fascinating. And I like hanging out with people that, that find it fascinating as well because they're the, they're the ones that are going to dig deep into that and go, why is that that way? Explain that to me. And if that's not a good enough explanation, I'm going to go find another fucking guy and I'm going to find out if he can explain it to me in a different way. So that way I can understand it. And I think that, you know, watching you, watching you work and seeing seeing your level of attention to detail that's that's obviously what separates you know the the upper echelon i guess if you will of people that understand machining and then being able to couple that with the knowledge of rifles to extract the potential you know like shit it's like you know there's certain people in the industry that you know when they cut a barrel or when they cut a chamber it's like Hey, fucking that guy cut that chamber. That didn't come from a CNC. That came from that dude's eyeballs, right? And his hands. There's a, there's something to be said for that. Well, and, you know, it's almost like we talked a little bit about um, long range and, 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 and uh, when you shoot maybe like 20 years ago when we shot yard lines and now we have the ballistic apps and Mm -hmm. and just the way to verify that trajectory Mm -hmm. well i guess and even simpler you have kind of like the theoretical and the actual Mm -hmm. like i can measure your action and get a value but until i tighten it onto a barrel and run the bolt Mm -hmm. i mean i can feel that thou or two or or when i put the brass in it you know, when I check it with a headspace gauge, the headspace gauge is steel and there's no movement. But when I run that bolt and close it on a piece of brass, I can feel that, that bolt head rub mm-hmm. and know that I'm right on it. Right. So you kind of have that. It's an art. It's, it's like a, well, it's, yeah, it's an artistic aspect of it where you just, you, you get the feel of what it is that you're doing because you've done it so many times. And I think there's a lot to be said for visualizing. So I think once you have the ability to visualize what's actually happening inside that thing, when you rotate those locking lugs, you can kind of see it and feel it as it happens. Right? Yeah. And, and I've, I've, you know, cut chambers and I've had dimensions and I screw the, you know, I got the barrel and the lathe and I put the action on it and the bolt sloppy. And so then I, 
or you know i set the headspace back or or cut a couple thou off and tighten it up and it's because i mean that value um and 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 there's still things that i don't know uh and there's also things that like when you start getting into you know torquing the action and 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 thread crush and and the, mating parts the, the thing though that's that like you, you have you know that that's a possibility of happening so you work you work on the other side of it so that way you don't get yourself into a bind right right you can always cut more material right 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 you can't put it back well and it's just that you know you could and i've had uh, it's funny because uh so my hair is about a thou and two tenths in diameter, mm-hmm. and there are times where you know I I cut a chamber, and I'm like, I'm like man, I'm like should I? I'm like I could go, <laughs> and then I'm like well it's just a hunting rifle. What if he gets some dirt in there? And then I'm like oh what do I do? And then I kind of like say well okay let's it's fine. <laughs> so it's it's not an exact. Sometimes I think that people want like this yes no algorithm sure yeah and, it's got to be either black or white or, or i don't know what to do with or it. plug and play mm-hmm. and it th- and i guess really complex things in our life they're not plug and play they're not not at all and uh so um and, and i mean sometimes i i kind of wrestle with that because uh, and i kind of joke around with with guys that come in and i say oh yeah you know i I measure twice and cut once and normally I measure like four or five times (laughs) and cut once. But I mean, it's, you know, it's It's kind of a high value piece. (laughs) It's kind of a high value piece of material, you know? So you gotta, it's, it's, that's the truth. I mean, I want to eventually, um, I want to eventually learn how to do this and I'd like to learn it from you. Like I'd like to come here and and have you teach me how to run a lathe. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, man. Wow. Like why not bring it fucking, why not close the loop? Well, I think it might be like hand loading. You might know how to do it, but you're like, eh, I'll just have Tom do this one. Yeah, well, no, I will. I will. No, no, no. I'm not saying I want to buy my own lathe, but I do want to understand um, yeah. and like put put that knowledge to work and see like yeah and see how how it all works. I think that would be super cool. Yeah, and I I think that like sometimes like I reflect on a little bit stuff from like the Marine Corps days and. And, you know, I didn't see a chronograph in the Marine Corps or, and and I know, you know, technology has changed a lot in the last 20 years. Your class, like your, your era of class was on, that was when I was just kind of getting into the ballistic computer programs and trying to bring that into the curriculum, um, in that 2002 ish timeframe, 2003, and because it was, that was the way things were progressing. And it was just like, hey, what the fuck is that over there? What What is that? Like, hey, bring that over here. Let me see what that is. How can we use this? How can we make, how can we make our process better by using this tool? Well, it must have been, uh, I think Gideon was born in, in 09. And uh, I think one night he, I couldn't sleep or he couldn't sleep. And I was watching the History Channel. So it's like 2010. And I was watching like dudes run around with bolt guns and they had suppressors and these Schmidt and Bender scopes and detachable bottom metal. And I'm like, well, who the fuck are these guys? This must be like, like Sodic or like SEAL training. And then the narrator comes and he goes, 
oh, at the Scout Sniper Basic Course in Camp mm-hmm. Pendleton. And I was like, what? Yeah. And I mean that, I mean, those years, you know, 04 to 10. Yeah, they were gone. It was like, you, you didn't know what was happening in the in the peripheral. But then, yeah, that was a huge advancement. Well, and that's what I meant, that, that the you know, that technology and, um, well, and then the wars going on probably mm-hmm. fueled some of that too. Yeah, the the Schmidt and Bender the the Schmidt and Bender scope. Uh, the last day that I was at um, at uh, SOTG, the day before I checked out and left on terminal, um, the the SSDS M eighty five forty one showed up that Schmidt and Bender, and and I was just like, well, like this is you got it because we put that in motion a couple of years before with need statements and things and. And um, it's like, well, okay, man, you got it. And it was a big headache because it was two different units of measure, two different angular units of measure. Mm-hmm. And so that was like a major, what the fuck do we do? And it was like, no, man, you have to completely abandon that thing. That, that doesn't exist anymore. You have to focus on this. And who cares what the fuck it equals? It doesn't matter what it equals. Right. It is what this is, right? So stop trying to... Stop trying to connect the two because that's silly. And then the addition of the suppressors, um, even though they put them on 24-inch barrels, whatever, um, and the detachable box magazines were huge, right? Mm-hmm. That was, was M40A5. Eighth... Right, right. Right. So I had some dudes come through a course in Yakima um, from uh, 3.5, they had just gotten back from Afghanistan. They had a really rough trip, and the snipers did a bunch of work on that trip. And um, those dudes had, um, you know, stories to tell about using the A5s and, and how and the big difference between just the difference between adding a suppressor was humongous. I bet. And just your signature reduction alone um, was huge for those guys. But they brought a lot of good things back and. Um, I learned a lot from those guys about like how they were employing themselves and things like that on the Afghanistan side of the house. But it's just the evolution of equipment. Mm-hmm. And now we have the M40 um, A6, which is in that that um, that Kdex kind of racks chassis. And uh, I don't know if I have that right. I don't. It is what it is. I think it's a Kdex chassis. Uh, but they cut the barrel down to. Um, 20 inches they put a surefire suppressor on it and um, it's a it's a little bit more handy of a rifle but it's still a 308 bolt action with a 10 round detachable box magazine well when you bring up the suppressor side i mean i'm seeing more and more guys hunt suppressed yeah and um and you know guys will come in talking about they want a muzzle break and they want recoil reduction well, I'm already threading the barrel for a muzzle brake, and I say, have you ever thought about the suppressor? Mm-hmm. And it, it's pretty weird in 2021, you know, guys, I mean, you know, my chainsaw's got a muffler, my lawnmower's got a muffler, my <laughs> truck's got, got a muffler. Emissions. But, emissions. Well, but the suppressor is basically the muffler. Right. But there's just this big, huge level of... Uh, the paperwork side mm-hmm. and uh but i tell guys you know the suppressor not only reduces the sound but it reduces recoil as well mm-hmm. it, it it changes the recoil impulse it just it just like it for me anyways it prolongs it hmm. it kind of like makes it more progressive instead of that with a muzzle brake it's like pow 
right? Right. With a suppressor, it's more of a kind of like a gradual impulse. Yeah, but it does, it definitely does reduce felt recoil. But the thing, the problem with the muzzle brake, if you're hunting... Oh, it's sort of savage. Well, that's what I tell a lot of guys, you know, you can't just see this thing and, and touch one off because you'll be deaf. And It's really bad. And, and that's why, you know, you know, a little bit too of the, like the gunsmith side is, is guys will come in and want upgrades or they'll want, they'll want to talk about products and... And so I should I get this or should I get that? Type yeah, thing? and and there's like almost like a level of consulting, like you know, if you're you know hunting, you know, and you want a muzzle brake, I mean, yeah, that re- the pros that are, you know, it reduces the recoil, but then the con to that is is the sound. Yeah, so you know the the gunsmith, the gun plumber side. You know, there's definitely the the machine side doing the work, but mm-hmm. then there's a certain customer service side too. Um, I've had guys come in, uh, went to one gunsmith and said that the barrel was shot out. Mm-hmm. Well, that particular guy didn't have a bore scope. Well, so I bring his rifle in, I look in it, and I see copper, and I go, "Are you cleaning with copper solvent?" He goes, "What's that?" Well, so because I'm able to inspect the rifle and clean it properly and get that copper out, I mean, it's, you know, this guy says you need a new barrel and right. I, and I say your gun's dirty. Um, it's right. just, uh, and, and like any, you know, whether you're a, any trade or any level of expertise, um, you might have different, uh, different opinion, but you know, it's funny, man. Like the the firearms community is fucking opinionated. It's insanely opinionated, <laughs> and we're all guilty of it. Um, but it's not. We're not the only ones. Everybody's fucking opinionated. It doesn't matter what what sport you're in, what anything you're in. I got like the skydiving community, fucking super opinionated. You know, like it has everybody. <clears throat> there, everybody's sports is the same way. Um, but. It, it is very like we were talking about that guy uh, the gunsmith that I was telling you with um, Linda's HS precision rifle right this barrel's shot out it's like bro it's had like 20 rounds down it like come on please can we not do this it's like it's like please can we not do this because I don't want to do this well and you just wonder like what like what agenda did he have right you, what, what's your deal like, yeah like does he want to buy the gun for a hundred bucks because the barrel's bad or? yeah and are you trying to are you trying to run some bullshit? Yeah. yeah, and and that's like the and and I guess the same thing. Like I've had people, they wanna. Uh, well, I had a guy. He had a it was like a Winchester Model seventy featherweight, and a featherweight's got a really thin stock, thin barrel contour, and uh, he wanted to rebarrel it and keep the weight down, and um, you know use the same stock just rebarrel it and I said well if you put that same contour barrel on it you're kind of going to have a two shot gun because mm-hmm. um, the barrel is going to heat up and that third shot is is going to move mm-hmm. and and that's when I was kind of like started talking to him about some of the carbon wrap barrels and you're going to have to use a different stock and um, but in my mind I was like if I do what he wants, 
he's not going to have the gun that he wants. Right. So there's almost like... And then you have that risk of if you do it and then it doesn't meet his expectations, now you got an upset customer and you're the problem. Right. So so there is... uh, I mean, the customer service thing, I really... um, You know, I have to have stuff worked on. You don't have... You know... There's a guy. Um, there's a guy in the space uh, on the handgun side. He, he runs a company down in Florida called Boresight Solutions. Um, super clean pistols, super clean Glock modifications. He does. He does Glocks primarily. Um, one of the original gangsters of like reducing the finger grooves in the front strap and modifying the grip angle and keeping it all super clean, right? Um, and he's made a name for himself and he's got fucking work for days. And, um, I think his name is Ben Simonson and he posts constantly these pictures of emails that customers send just being straight assholes. (laughs) And you're just like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with humanity? Like, are you serious right now? And, and that like, for that, I've I'm super grateful because we haven't had anything we haven't had to deal with anything like that, which I'm again I'm really grateful for it. But it's just like I don't have time for that shit. Go fuck yourself. Like, well, well, and I mean even I mean I started building doing work on guns in in 2008, and uh, I really you know very similar. I've been really lucky. Um, haven't had anybody like right be. Super upset. unreasonable. Well, and I think in the beginning, like when someone sends you, contacts you and they're like, hey, you know, I'm shooting a match on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Can you chamber my gun yeah. on Friday? And I could, I could drop it off Friday morning. I and I'm load development done really quick. Well, and I just meant that mm. you kind of get a feel for those guys. Sure. And trying um, to, they're the end goal hinges on your ability to get this done. Right. And I just meant that. So we were talking earlier today and, you know, in the beginning, I looked at gun work as a way to make more money because mm-hmm. I could work, you know, it was like a side hustle for me. Sure. And over the years, uh, I've really looked at the gun work and uh, a few years back, I was really thinking about what I liked about the gun work and the thing I liked most is the people I meet. That's awesome. I've met, um, I mean, other business owners, <clears throat> electricians, uh, lawyers, doctors, and and we, we all have that connection. We want to shoot, and we want to hunt, and we want to train, and we want to be better, and we want to get better. But it there is, uh, it's interesting, people kind of talk to me about, you know, you want to be efficient, and, and you got to make money and, but I actually, um, I really do like to talk and meet the people that I'm working for mm-hmm. because really when someone brings their rifle to me, I may be my own boss, right? but I'm working for them to I'm do, brought that back. to do yeah. what they want done. And if they want me to do something that I don't want to do, I tell them... Yeah, you got to communicate that. Yeah, I tell them, I don't want to do this because this is why I don't want to do it. And then I say, if you still want to do that, 
it's your rifle. We have certain yeah. risks that we need to talk about. Exactly. And at the end of the day, I mean, if you came to me and said, I want you to paint my gun, you know, purple, and I w- I'd be like, right on, man. Uh, I got to order some Cerakote because I don't have that color. But it's <laughs> it's your gun. Right. And I'm doing what you want me to do. And the thing is, is I think that's cool that you want me to work on your stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really, that's really what I'm doing. It's like, and, and I, I mean, I go, I mean, I was Christmas shopping at the mall and, and customer service is, is, I guess it is what it is, but I try really hard. I mean, that's basically, that's how I feel about the gun work. Well, you're passionate about it. <clears throat> you, you have a, you, you have a, you have a connection and an attachment to the outcome of your work. Right, and you want that to be, um, you want that to be highlighted through the through the um, through the customer's experience using what you created and what you built, and that's I think that's fucking rad because it shows when you you, you know both of those rifles that you built were literally that rifle where it's just like this does not I don't have to do anything I just have to lay here really really still and press the trigger and those bullets are going to go through the same hole. And that's the way I, that's the way I want rifles to shoot. And knowing now that <clears throat> modern machining, um, even modern metallurgy, and the science of of what alloys go into barrels and and what makes the most consistent barrel steel, uh, to our ability to machine and our ability to measure, uh, build reamers, understand more and more about how bullet jump uh, affects accuracy and all the things that we're learning about hand loading. It's just, it's really cool because a lot of people, honestly, man, a lot of people look at me and they're just like, they're, they ask me, you know, what do you do for a living? I'm just like, well, I'm in the firearms industry. And they're like, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, I teach people how to shoot guns. And they're like, what? You do what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I teach people how to shoot rifles. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, what do you do for like your regular job? <laughs> And I'm like, that's what I do for my regular job. I teach people how to shoot rifles. And people just have no concept or clue as to the size of that industry, right? It's like it's like its own little ecosystem. Right. Right? That's functioning in the peripheral if you're not a part of it. <clears throat> just like the technology world or the medical world or whatever it is, we're oblivious to that shit. But over there with those people, they're in it. Just like we're in this. And they're their their minds are blown. It's like you literally you can do that and do, and I'm like yeah I actually own a fucking business and that's like we support families and that's a thing and um, it's pretty crazy that that the science and the art of not only from your perspective of constructing one of these one of these things which is what we call a firearm to me teaching people how to use them it's all like a giant circle it's super cool because you can't have one without the other. And when I have, you know, I get, um, you know, over the years, I've had lots of your students come through here and I'm super grateful for that. You're welcome, man. It's well-deserved. But at the same time, I get inexperienced people. And I mean, if a guy just comes in and wants a trigger job done, you know, um, I mean, knowledge is power. And I tell people that if they don't know how to run the gun... You know, that system is almost a liability. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I push, um, you know, I talk to a lot of um, guys about, you know, and you're local, you're in Washington. Mm-hmm. And I had a guy went to a carbine course in Tennessee and I was like, why'd you go to Tennessee? Well, come to find out it, it was just the way that worked out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the training you provide in Washington, um, I mean, I tell people to, they just invested in this tool and go mm-hmm. learn how to use yeah. it effectively. Sure. And, and with some people, you know, I've had people, um, been shooting, you know, 30, 40 years and have no instruction and uh, I'll go to the range and use a rear bag or something and they're like, what's that? And, and it's just like, it's about to change your world. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just weird that, uh, I mean, and I kind of, you know, you have a computer in your pocket yeah, really. and there's so much information and this guy's like, you know, what's, what's that thing for? You could literally learn everything about what you're asking me about right here. Right. right and, now. uh, but I just, but I mean, you come, you know, you come to me and, and get your rifle worked on or you want your rifle more accurate. And I tell people to go see you to make the user more accurate. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, I mean, at the end of the day, the the rifles are pretty accurate. Yeah, they're pretty accurate. <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a um, there's a guy in the training space who we consider kind of like the original one of the original gangsters of kind of um, bringing the sport into what it is that we see today. Uh, his name's Jacob Bynum, and he uh, owns a company called Rifles Only down in Texas. <clears throat> and Jacob's, you know, f- really famous for a couple of um, mantras, I guess. Number one is believe the bullet, and number two, the rifle doesn't care. Like, it's just a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like It's a tool. It's a tool. We're just, like, that wrench, the wrench doesn't do shit unless I pick it up and, and adjust it, the jaw, for the appropriate fastener, or whatever, you know, and, and apply pressure to it doesn't fucking do anything and so that's the rifle is its own tool but it's also you know it's it's components that have to come together and work seamlessly <clears throat> in order for us to like get what it is that we need to, or that we want out of it and so i think that's um it's such a cool blend of of an art and a science to all together because you know the, the the engineering side of of creating the components or the materials that we use for the components and then the people like yourself that put the components together and understand you know the the nuances of how to fit those things together and you know attach the barreled action to a stock and then attach a rifle scope to it and then we come in and teach you how to fucking use it all right so it's it's a really cool and then the quest of well now I want to get those bullets to go where I want them to in all kinds of crazy ass positions. And mm-hmm. so let's go do this thing over here. And that opens another plethora of doors, right? So it's a cool journey. It's badass. And I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to be able to uh, to have a couple more barrels chambered out by you, man. It's yeah. gonna be a good gonna be a good shooting gun. <laughs> so um so for you guys, for the listeners, <clears throat> we took a little bit of a, a little bit of a different approach on this one. Um, we just kind of opened up the conversation and we're going to circle back. Um, this is Tom Ryder and, um, 
you know, Tom and I met uh, in the Marine Corps, as Tom alluded to. Uh, Tom was one of my students at sniper school. And um, we also deployed together to Iraq in 2004. We had a we had a great time over there, even though it was a shitty shitty time in a lot of ways. We had a good time. I would say so. Wouldn't you say so? Uh, Product year environment. <laughs> it was what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think. Well, I mean, like most deployments, you know, you have the Highs ups and, and downs. Yeah. yeah. But. Um, Tom owns a company here in uh, Western Washington called SPR Industries. And so uh, Tom's on Instagram at, uh, uh, at SPR Industries. Yeah, it's uh, SPR underscore Industries. industries. Yeah. yeah. Um, so check him out. Um, Tom makes some really fantastic rifles. I'm going to continue to show you guys uh, the progression of my experience with building this 6mm BR Ackley. And so we're going to do that through um, having Tom start off by cutting the chamber and two of my barrels. And um, I'm going to be kind of taking you guys through the, the course of the journey. And I'm, I'm just happy to bring you along. Um, you do you do good work. And there's a humongous shooting community in Washington State that um, everybody's looking to have super accurate barrels cut and chambered. So Tom's your man. <laughs> Seriously. Give this guy a call. He he cuts he cuts really straight chambers, and does fantastic work. Well, thanks, man. You're welcome, dude. Not serious. I mean, I'm I'm happy to be here and see uh, see how you've grown. It's been cool to it's been cool to see. I mean, you were like I said, you know, before you were using renting shop space or using shop space, and now you got your own shit, which is awesome. Yeah. No, it's just definitely been. Uh, I mean, sometimes I look back and say. I should have um, went full time sooner, and I mean, I guess you can always look back and say it's timing, man. It's timing. Everything's timing. Yeah, and I think decisions are funny things because sometimes we we feel like maybe we make a decision, but there could be some other thing that happens, mm -hmm. and that's really what the decision is. Right. So, um, I mean, really, I just try to do you know one day at a time and mm -hmm. um, just do the best I can. Well, you're doing a pretty good job, man. So this is a good time. What's next? So I'm going to drop these things off. I'm going to cruise over and chat with Ted tomorrow at American Rifle Company and learn mm -hmm. some more shit. Um, and uh, we'll check you, check what, after the holidays? Well, uh, you're, I'm like, fucking, you're like I, number 10. I'm man. number 10. <laughs> I got fucking pictures to prove it. I'm number ten. You're. Uh, I don't. I, don't I know. know. I'm way down there, man. You'll. The uh, don't worry. I'll. I'll call you. <laughs> you <can. laughs> uh, seriously, it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be cool because this is. Um, it's a little bit different too. It's a little bit different because um, a lot of reamers. Well, yeah, the reamer that I have is actually for the. The 105, mm -hmm. and you're going to be shooting the 110. The 110A tips. So, um, I really won't know until I get it get it chambered, and then um, probably make some measurements. And I'm not I'm not sure if I'll have to. Th well, I just won't know until I get there. Honestly, man, you know, I was thinking it's like I've had I've had 105 out of as an example a six creed more barrel. I've 
I've had 105 hybrids shoot really well out of it. I've had 108s shoot really well out of it, and I've had 110s shoot really well out of it. So it's like I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to have anxiety over this fucking process. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the big thing is, I mean, I just don't know. Yeah, we're gonna figure <laughs> it the fuck out. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. So. But it'll, 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 it'll shoot. Yeah, man. I know it will. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Right on, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. You guys know the drill. Keep your faces on the gun, and until next time, shoot well.